Now today, we're going to be concluding a three-week series that we've been calling Wisdom. But here's the good news. If you missed week one and two, I saved the best for last, all right? I really did, because we're talking about ways that God can communicate His wisdom to us. Because here's what I know about everybody in the room, myself included. We need wisdom. We need God to give us counsel. We need to know what to do in, in uncertain situations. We need to know how to resolve conflict and, and tension and make choices and decisions. And every one of us, at some time or another, have cried out for wisdom. And God has, speaks to us in many ways. The first week, we talked about how God speaks His wisdom to us through people. And again, I'm praying God will do that over the next 40 minutes. That He'll speak through a person His wisdom. God wants to speak to you, but he also wants to speak through you. And so we talked about posturing ourselves to allow God to use us to speak into the lives of other people. The Bible calls that the gift of prophecy. You might call it a word of encouragement. Uh, you might just, uh, you, I don't know how you would qualify it, but if it lifts people, encourages people, and points them towards Jesus, it's the gift of prophecy. The second week, we talked about the Holy Spirit's role in giving us the wisdom of God. Last Sunday, I just talked about all the things that the Holy Spirit does to lead us into the wisdom of God. But I really did, I really did save the best for last. Because today, I want us to look at God's loudest and most consistent voice when it comes to discerning the will of God. And you're holding it right now, likely. It's the Word of God. If you don't have a Bible and you want to use one, we've got some under the book racks under the seat in front of you. We're going to put a lot of verses on the screen. I'm going to have you begin by turning to 2 Timothy in the New Testament. 2 Timothy, I'll, I'll be with you there in just a moment, but let me just say, by way of introduction today, that I, I believe with all my heart that the Word of God is the wisdom of God. We looked at a scripture last week in James that says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. God wants to give us his wisdom. God is not silent. If you could just do something today, I think this would help you in your relationship with the Lord. It would help you in the difficult seasons of life that are bound to come again. Just make a commitment in your heart to say, I will never say God is not speaking. Just make that commitment right now. I've heard people say it all my life. Maybe you've said it. But God is speaking. Now, God doesn't always answer the way we want Him to answer. We don't always get the answer when we want it. It's not, I'm not saying it's always easy. God might not even be talking about what you're wanting to hear. But God is always speaking because we have this book. We have this book. Every day we have the opportunity to open this book and to hear what God has to say to us. I'll get with you in first, or 2 Timothy, but the Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who Believe. I want you to really key in on the last phrase that I just read. This is the word of God. Yes, it came through a human voice, but it was the word of God. And he says, this word is at work in you that believe. Can I tell you what the word of God is doing right now? It's working. The word is working. Now, every 
everyone in this place is going to hear the word from God. And I guarantee it's going to have an effect on your life. You say, wow, that's a pretty bold statement. No, I'm not saying it's going to be a good effect. I don't know what kind of an effect it's going to have. I'm just saying it's going to have an effect. Because the word of God goes forth and it works. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Isaiah said it this way. He said, so my word goes forth from my mouth and it will not return to me empty. But it will accomplish what I desire and achieve for the purpose for which I sent it. God's word goes forth and it works. Now, I've also discovered this to be true. The same sun that softens butter hardens clay. And so the same word can go out, and it can touch a heart that's tender and receptive, and your life can be shaped and molded into the image of Christ Jesus. You can leave better than you came. But there's also people that can hear the word of God and close their spiritual eyes and close their spiritual ears and harden their heart to what the Spirit of God is saying. And every time that we harden our heart, every time that we resist the word of God, it's like a callus forms over our soul. It just becomes a little easier next time to resist that same word. I'm telling you, the word of God is working. And we have to be receptive to hear what God wants to say. Are you in 2 Timothy chapter 3? I want you to look at a couple verses here because these, I don't know if you're a person that highlights in your Bible or underlines things, but if you are, I would advise that you highlight these verses, that you underline these, that that you draw an asterisk or a picture of a Bible in the corner of the margin. I I don't know how you write in your Bible, but these are words that you need to be familiar with. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and... How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We're going to read on, but I'm going to stop right there and say this is what what the holy scriptures do. The holy scriptures make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, now you you can't live on planet earth and have an excuse For not knowing there's a God. That's what Romans 1 tells us. Psalms 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies show forth the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Listen, there is no one that has an excuse of saying I didn't know there was a God. Just look around. Look at the consistencies. Look at the intricacies. The creation itself communicates that there's a God. On the other end of the spectrum... We have the conscience of man that reveals there's a God. You can go to any corner of the earth, any tribe, any tongue, and you're going to see there, there is a plumb line of morality. Now, we might have different cultures and, and, and different beliefs, but we all have a general agreement on what is ethical, what is moral, what is right, what is wrong. Every nation can turn on the news and see something that's wrong and say, that's unjust. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. Because we have God's moral compass on the inside of us. 
whether we live by it or not. It's there. And so we can look at creation and we can know there's a God. We can look at the conscience and we can know that there's a God. But it's only in the commands of God's word that we know he had a son named Jesus who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who taught, who did miracles, who died on a cross, who was buried in the grave. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And you can be saved if you put your faith in him. How many of you know you don't get that by looking at the stars? It's the commands of God's word. This is his special revelation of who he is to us. The holy scriptures make you wise for salvation. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel that gives us salvation. And so reading on a little farther. In verse 16, I, I love this verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's a powerful thought. God-breathed. The word is inspired. And so it's our fundamental truth, our number one fundamental belief. Listen, we live in a world that doesn't believe in absolutes. We live in a world that you can tell them something's true and they say, well, I'm glad that's true for you. My experience tells me. I have my own truth. And so our fundamental theological understanding is that the word of God is truth. Now, now, it's up to us to deal with it. It's up to us to wrestle with it. But we understand the word of God is truth. Why? Because this verse says all scripture is God-breathed. It means it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That means the original articles in the original language that the apostles and the prophets wrote, when they wrote it down, they didn't just write something that they felt a compulsion about. The Holy Spirit breathed upon them. The Holy Spirit directed them. And so we can have absolute confidence today that the original manuscripts of the Word of God that were produced under divine inspiration are absolutely trustworthy. They're authoritative. All 66 books, all scripture. This is more than just good counsel. This is breath on the page. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. That's why in the nursery, they don't, they don't learn a lot of theology there, but they learn the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Now, when my oldest daughter, Morgan, was, was little, uh, she would walk around the house with her little Bible, and she would just say, B-I-B-I-B-E, B-I-B-I-B-E. I think she thought that's what it was called. I don't know. She just called it the B-I-B-I-B-E. She couldn't spell it right, but she understood something about it. This is the word of God. And when we go to church, she looked for it. Even at one years old, she wanted her little Bible. That's why we teach the kids in the nursery. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you can just get that concept, that the truth, the revelation of the command that leads to salvation, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He loves me. How do I know that? Because God's communicated it to me in His Word. He loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And so we, we, we teach that doctrine at the 
earliest, earliest level. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 17, after he says it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, he gives the reason. He says, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This verse tells us that one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to give us the word of God is so that you and I could be prepared so that we could have the wisdom that we need, so that we could be ready for every work that God has for us. Can I just say to you this morning, we don't study God's word just to fulfill some spiritual discipline or to increase our amount of knowledge. We study God's word so that we can know how to do Christ's work in the world. This is the blueprint. Basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible. This is the manuscript on what a Christ-like life is to look like. And it's, it's God's revelation. It's God's love letter to you and to I. And I want to challenge you today to, to find a new passion and a new love for God's word. Because it's the wisdom of the ages and it's available to us today. The shepherd prophet Amos, he spoke about the word of God and in Amos 8, 11, he said this. He said, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Can I tell you, I, I believe that famine is in America today. There's a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. The Bible says that the word of the Lord is equated with fresh bread. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's a, a spiritual famine in our nation, and it's not for lack of access. You know, Barna Research did a report and said that Americans spend 59 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars a year on Christian products and programs in America. 59 billion dollars. We got the witness wear t-shirts. We got the bumper sticker for the car. We got the Jesus bracelet. We got the CDs. We got the podcast. We got all that. And it's great. Nothing wrong with those things. They're great. We have so much access. But can I tell you today, all those things are supplemental. They're supplemental. Could you imagine what it would be like if you got up every day and you took a bunch of multivitamins, and, but you never ate a nutritious meal? Like, just think about how your body would handle that if all you did was just take some daily vitamins, but you never actually ate a real meal. And can I say, there's a lot of people that are spiritually starving because that's the way that they exist. They might listen to a little Christian talk radio, might listen to some worship music, might, might watch a sermon on YouTube, come to church every once in a while, get a few supplements, get some strength, get some nourishment, a little power boost here, but they're not daily feasting on the manna from heaven. Amen. And it's available. I mean, fresh bread, God breathes right out of heaven's oven. It's available for you each and every day. If we'll go after it. 
Today, I, I want to give you, for the time we have left, just four steps in the Word. And if, if you got, oh, you do have something to write with. That's great. If you have something to write on, I want you to write these down. And, and I hope these will help you. This is actually a pretty incredible story in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 1. 2 Chronicles. If you find First and Second Kings, keep going. If you find Ezra, go back. If you find Corinthians, you better start over. You're in the wrong half of the Bible. Chronicles. Chapter 34. I, I just want to read this first verse. It's going to set the stage for us. Are you there? Second Chronicles 34, verse 1. Here's what it says. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. How does that happen? Eight years old, king in Jerusalem. I'll tell you how it happened. Josiah's father was King Ammon, and he was a wicked king. He was so evil that his officials conspired against him, and they assassinated him in his own home. But the people got frustrated with the officials, and so they took his son, and they placed him on the throne. So now here's Josiah, eight years old, not a lot of experience at eight years old, just seen his dad murdered in his own home, and now there's a crown placed on his head. He's the king at eight years old. And he's not just following a wicked father and, and, and a wicked cabinet. The several previous generations before him were evil. In fact, there's one phrase, if you study out the history of these people, there's one phrase that just defines and describes them generation after generation. And the phrase is this, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then another generation would come up, another king would take the throne. And you'd read it again. And they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This nation at this time was so consumed in idolatry, they were so consumed in immorality that they had become absolutely nonchalant about the things of God. Now, mind you, these are the people of God. This is that nation, Israel. These are the ones that, that God said are my chosen people, the ones that he delivered, that he set free, that he gave the land to that we read about earlier. And they, they could care less at this moment about God's desires or God's word. In fact, they were so careless about God's word that they lost it. I, I, don't, I don't mean like they, they misplaced the, the Bible that sits on the coffee table. I mean the word, like the Pentateuch, the one that Moses wrote down that God gave to him. This was the word. They lost it. They didn't even know where it was. And, and what's worse than losing the Bible is being so careless about the things of God that you don't even know it's lost. They didn't even know they had misplaced it. Now, maybe you ought to write this down because the Holy Spirit's already, already dealing with somebody. You just need to give yourself a note. Find my Bible. Because you're, you're, your wheels are turning. I don't even know where, my, I don't know where my Bible is. Listen, they lost the Bible, okay? They lost the Word of God. They were so backslidden that their children were growing up 
in a nation that, that didn't know the word of God. They didn't know anything about God. And can I be honest with you? I've seen that very thing play out time and time again. You know, here's what I found to be true. The things that we do in moderation, our kids tend to do in excess. Those things in life that we tolerate, we allow, they celebrate, they pursue. So you have to, you have to be careful as, as an adult, as a parent. You have to be careful of, of what you allow, what you tolerate. Because what you do in moderation, your kids will probably do in excess. And so what I've seen happen time and time again is, you know, people grow up going to Sunday school. They grow up going to vacation Bible school. They grow up going to church week in and week out. If you're in a generation older than me, maybe you even remember going to school every day and beginning the day with reading the scriptures. Believe it or not, America as a nation used to be very biblically literate. I mean, even if, even if you didn't go to church, we all still believed the good book. And, and so what I see happen is people, you know, they, they had that experience in their life, but then they got a little older, they started a family, started a new job, and, and so they couldn't make it every weekend, and then a couple weekends turned to weeks, weeks turned to months, and then they're no longer in church, and they're raising a family of their own. And the thing is, the problem is, they don't realize how far they've drifted. Because it's still in their memory. You know, you have a conversation with somebody and they tell you about a Bible story. Oh, I, I, remember, I remember that story. You remember it. You have a point of reference. But what's happening is the next generation is coming up in the home. And there are little boys and little girls who are completely biblically illiterate. They have no foundation for understanding the word of God. Because the culture, the generation before them, has moved so far away from the priority of God's word. And that's exactly what was happening in this situation in Judah. Josiah had a God consciousness. He had, he had the consciousness. He had creation. He knew that, that God was there just like everyone ought to know. But he had no idea how wicked and how wrong their actions were. He didn't know what God's desires were. So I want you to look at what happened in verse 3. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3, it says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, if you're doing the math, he's 12 now, he began to seek the God of his father, David. First thing I want you to write down about these steps in the word is just the word seek. Seek. He began to seek the God of his father, David. Young people, listen to me. You're not too young to get serious about God. At 16 years old, Josiah, he got serious about God. He began to seek the Lord. He wasn't just going to rely on the stories that other people told him. He began to seek the Lord, his God. Now look at the next part of that verse. It says, in his 12th year as a ruler, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. So here's Josiah. He's now 20 years old, and he is the spiritual leader in the nation. I mean, he's, he's assertive now. He's removing these uh, idols to false gods. He's removing these false uh, temples of worship. He's undoing some of the evil of his father and his grandfathers. The previous generation had so neglected the house of God that it was literally in shambles. I mean, it was in disrepair. The house of God looked terrible. 
And isn't it amazing how, how God can speak to our hearts by his Holy Spirit? We talked about that last week. That the Holy Spirit will teach us all things that we don't know. And even a young person, when, when, when they give their heart and life to Jesus, instinctively they know church is important. Church matters. I mean, it, it, nobody has to tell them. It's like they just, they just know. We've seen so many kids over the last few years that have come and been a part of, of our uh, Bible program that we do during the school day. Kids come, they hear the gospel, they give their life to Jesus, and they go back home. And I've seen it happen many, many times. After a while, that kid shows up on a Sunday morning with mom and dad. Hey, great to see you. Oh, he was begging us to come. Oh, she asked us if we could come. It's the Holy Spirit. You don't have to teach a kid that going to church is important. When the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in your heart, we, we realize that, hey, Jesus died for this church. He gave his life for this church. He's coming back for this church. The church matters. And so Josiah got a heart for the house of God. And all of a sudden, he sends some of his men. He says, I want you to go and repair the house of God. That place looks terrible. I want you to go and, and fix it up. And so that's what they did. They began to repair the house of God. And it was in that process. He's now 26 years old. And he's commissioned workers to go fix the house of God. And it's in that process that we get verse 14. Something amazing happens right here. Check it out. Verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. He found it. Can you imagine that? Just stumbling through all of the, all of the wreckage and all of the rubbish and pulling all the, that, that's the, that's the Bible, that's the word. Somebody else, I didn't know we were missing it. There it is. Down in verse 18, it says, then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king. Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. Here's the second step you need to take. Write the word study. When Josiah heard the word for the first time, all of a sudden, he felt the breath of God on the page. I mean, maybe he had heard the stories before, but I'm telling you, there's something powerful that happens when we actually lean in and listen with our heart to the word of God. He felt the breath on the page, and the Bible says in verse 19, the very next verse, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Why did he do that? He tore his robes because it was an outward sign of repentance, of sorrow. He recognized in that moment that we, we have missed the mark. We've missed the mark. We've fallen short. When he heard the word of God, can I tell you what the Bible does? One of the things the Bible does is it reveals sin. It reveals sin in our lives. And so by, by tearing his robe, by rending his garments, it was an outward expression to say he recognized that he was sinful and he was mournful for it. This was a sign of genuine repentance. For the first time in his life, 26 years old, Josiah encountered the word of God. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.20 that it's through the law that we become conscious of sin. That's, that's what the Word of God does. You, you don't have to worry about, do, do I know or do I understand all the laws? Or, you know, maybe you're new to faith. You go, I don't know if I'm doing this thing right, if I'm serving Jesus right. 
The Holy Spirit will teach you. And as you read the word, the law of God reveals the consciousness of our sin. And so when we read the word, the word of God reads us. Isn't that amazing? That's why it's a supernatural book. The word of God is a mirror, James said. When we look into the word of God, it's a reflection. It shows us what we're supposed to look like. It shows us what's wrong in our lives. So when you read the word, the word reads you. And the Holy Spirit speaks and says, there's some things here that need to change. And that's what happened for Josiah. See, the Bible says this about itself. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, the word of God is alive and active. If you didn't know it, can I tell you today, this is a dangerous book. This is more than history, certainly not fiction. This book is alive and it's active. What does that mean? Hebrews 4.12 says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Why? Because it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Here's what the word does. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. When we open the word of God, the word opens us, and he's like a master surgeon with a scalpel. The word of God goes right to the core of who we are. And what he wants to do by his spirit is he wants to cut away the sin and the stuff of your life that separates you from God. And he wants to add strength and life and virtue to the things that are of God. You know, when I was 12 years old that Christmas, one of the things I asked for from my parents was a Bible. Now, I had a Bible already. I had a kid's Bible. But my dad preached out of the King James Version. And I wanted to be able to, because I graduated kids' church now. You know, I got to sit with the big people. So at 12 years old, I wanted to be able to have my own Bible in the same translation so I could find the scriptures and follow along. I still have that Bible sitting on my shelf in my office right now. They gave me that on my 12th birthday. And on inside cover, my dad wrote a quote from D.L. Moody. And it said, this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And you know, that's true. If we'll stay close to the word of God, it'll be like a repellent from the temptation of the enemy. We'll be able to use the word in our spiritual arsenal the same way Jesus did when Satan tempted him. He said, it is written. And he used the word the way Ephesians 6 says, the word of the God. The word of God is the sword and the shield. We need the word of God to keep sin from our lives. So Josiah does the only right thing to do. Once he's actually gotten the word, he's seeking the word and, and he's studying the word. The third thing is this, he shares the word. He begins to share it. He begins to share what God has shown him. He shares it with the leaders and with all the people. He brings everybody together. He proclaims everywhere that everyone's going to come and hear the word of the Lord. Can I say, we got to do the same thing. We got to be willing to share the word. I, I don't know if you know this, but the prophet Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah was a contemporary with Josiah. And so he was prophesying in the day and time when all of this happened. Can you imagine that? You're trying to be a prophet for God and people don't even know where the word of God is. But he wrote his experience when all of this happened in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. 
Look at this. Jeremiah said, when your words came, other translations say, when your word was found, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. He said, I, I ate them. In other words, I consumed them. We sang it earlier. Your name is sweeter than honey on my lips. Where, where do we get the, the, those lyrics? Where do we get that poetry? David said in Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So just like Jeremiah, just like David, we ought to crave the word of God. We ought to have a hunger for it. He said, until it became my joy and my heart's delight. Can I tell you what one of the biggest keys to satisfaction and contentment in your life is? It's finding your joy and your delight in the word of God. See, there's an incredible promise in Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, I've heard that verse abused so many times because people just quote the second half. They say, Lord, you, you told me you'd give me the desires of my heart, and you know I need a woman, so God, you know, it's something stupid, you know. Lord, I, you see that car over there? Oh, I need that car. You said in your word you'd give me the desires of my heart. No, that's not how it goes at all. It says, take delight in the Lord. See, Jeremiah said, your word is, is my joy, and it's my delight. And when we delight ourselves in the Lord, all of a sudden, God can trust the desires of our heart. Our desires are aligned with his will for our life. All of a sudden, we want what he wants. We pray like Jesus prayed. Thy will be done, not mine. And God can trust our desires. And Jesus, by the way, backed that Old Testament promise up in John 15. When he was talking to the disciples, listen to this. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, and that's the key, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Just let that verse settle on you for a minute. I mean, that's, that sounds like a fortune cookie more than scripture. I mean, that's amazing, right? I mean, if everybody knew that was in the Bible, don't you think more people would have came today? He said he'll do whatever you wish. That's amazing. But the key is, the key is that my word remains in you. See, here, here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the hinge pin that your soul's satisfaction swings on. The reality is Jesus said, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life to the fullest. What Satan doesn't want you to know, young people especially, hear me. What the devil doesn't want you to know is the best version of your life. The one that's going to give you the most satisfaction, the one that's going to give you the most peace, the most adventure, the most thrills, is the actual life that Jesus planned for you. Yes. See, the world wants to tell you, you got to cut corners, you got to sneak out, you got to go around the rules, you got to bend things, you got, because you don't want to compromise all of the fun. You just want to figure out what you can get away with and still squeak through the pearly gates. Yeah. That's a lie from the pit of hell. See, God is so good. He's so, he's so generous that the desires that would bring you the most satisfaction were actually his desires for you first. There's some people that say, oh, I'm afraid to surrender everything to Jesus. He might call me to preach. I don't want to preach. Well, if you don't want to preach, probably not going to call you to preach. What do you love doing? Working on cars? It was God's desire for you before it was your desire. That's the goodness of God. 
And so you can trust him with your desires when he can trust you with his desires. And so Jeremiah says, your word, I I desired, and it became my joy, it became the desire of my heart, and all of a sudden something unlocks in your life. What's so crazy about Jeremiah is it wasn't always easy serving God. I mean, imagine trying to be a prophet to a people that did evil in the eyes of the Lord and didn't even know where the Bible was. And he got so frustrated one time, he said, God, I I can't do this anymore. I I don't want to prophesy because it's all bad news. And, you know, you ever heard the phrase, don't kill the messenger? That was like Jeremiah was the poster child for, like, taking all the bullets. Like, come on, these people are being just flat out mean now. I don't want to prophesy anymore. That's what he told God. But then he said this in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. He said, but if I say... I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. You want to talk about sharing your faith. Think about this. Jeremiah is not saying it's hard to share my faith. He's saying it's hard not to. When I try not to, it's like fire on the inside of me. I get weary from trying not to share my faith with people. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us have had that experience. And I just wonder sometimes, because many people have said this, and maybe you're in this camp. I've heard people say, you know, it's hard for me to share my faith. I know there's personalities that are different, and some people are better at talking to others. But I I wonder in our heart of hearts, maybe it's that we haven't fallen in love with God's word enough. Because here's what I've found about people. You can't help but talk about what you're passionate about. Right? I mean, I, I, got, I got guys in this church, they know I don't like the Eagles, but they talk to me about the Eagles every fall. <laughs> I don't know if it's because they're passionate about it or they just like to get under my skin, but, you know. Either way, you talk about what you're passionate about. Jeremiah said, I can't stop talking about the Word of God. There's no way I can contain this. I mean, if, if you've been in the Word and God's speaking to you and I mean, just wisdom bombs are going off in your brain. You're going, wow, this is so amazing. God, you're so good. This is just what I needed. And then you're sitting at the lunch table with coworkers, and somebody starts going, boy, I'm really going through something. And the very thing that you were just reading about that morning applies. I've been in that situation. Like, I can't not tell them what God told me. Like, I, you, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. I, I don't know if you read the Bible, but you got to hear this. This is so crazy. This is exactly your situation. They began to share. I read, uh, recently, I read a story, Erwin McManus, he's a pastor, he was on a, a leadership conference somewhere on the other side of the world, and uh, before he left, his daughter, his adult daughter said to him, because she knows her dad's an introvert, and he just kind of keeps to himself when he's not up speaking, he sometimes doesn't really speak to anybody, and so she said, look, do yourself a favor, when you go to the conference, find somebody with a pleasant smile, and invite them to lunch, like, be social. Okay, okay. So he gets to the conference, and he remembers his daughter said this, and he sees this uh, senior adult lady, and she looked pleasant, and uh, so he said, hey, you want to go to lunch after the morning session? She said, sure, that'd be great. What's your name? My name's Jane. What's your name? My name's Erwin. So he goes out to eat with Jane, and they're sitting there talking, and, and he can't help but notice, like, she keeps bringing up gorillas in all of her stories. He'd talk about something, and then she would talk about, you know, something, and it kept coming back to 
gorillas. And she's like, yeah. for 45 minutes, he's enjoying lunch. And finally, something just kind of clicks. And he said, Jane, can I ask you a question? Is your last name Goodall? She said, yes. <laughs> he's, he's eating with the, the premier voice, you know, on, on apes. And he doesn't even realize it. Her passion bled out. It gave her away. She couldn't help it. Everything she talked about came back to what she was passionate about. And that's the way it ought to be with us. We ought to fall so in love with God and with his word that we cannot contain it, that we cannot keep it in. The wisdom of God is the word of God. And if you'll eat the word, he'll speak to you, but he'll also speak through you. Fourth, finally, the word is submit. Submit. Is the only appropriate action to the truth of God's word. And when you look in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, you see that that's exactly what Josiah did. When he started reading the word of God, he had never seen it before. He started seeing all the things that God had ordained for the people of God to do, none of which they were doing. He said, we've got to change. And that is the response when you come up against an immovable absolute truth. We have to change. And so submission to the word of God is always appropriate. It, so Josiah says, you know what, there, there's, this, there's this feast called the Passover. Pretty important. I mean, God delivered our ancestors out of slavery in Egypt for 400 years. He rescued them. And, and he gave them the celebration and all this stuff. We're supposed to do this. And so he reinstituted the Passover. And not, not, just, not just like, hey, we ought to try this thing. I mean, he went all out. He went all in. In fact, I want you to look at one verse in chapter 35. Just one verse. It says, the Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. And none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah. Not King Saul, not King David, not King Solomon. With all of his wealth, none of them. I mean, Josiah goes all in when he learns what God desires for him and the people. He is fully committed. I mean, nobody, he said, nobody's ever going to have a Passover like the Passover we're going to have. If God wants us to have Passover, we're going to have a Passover. It's going to be awesome. He was like, turn down for what? Like, we are doing this thing. There was a, there was a passion of submission. And that might sound counterintuitive because we think of grabbing the bull by the horns and, and taking charge. Of no, he was passionately committed to surrender, to yielding, to saying the best thing that I can do right now as a leader at 26 years old, with all of my experience at my early age, the best thing I can do is submit myself and all these people that I lead to the word of the Lord. And can I just say again to, to the young people in the room, don't ever underestimate the impact that you can have when you are passionately committed to living according to the word of God. Because Josiah made that personal decision. And it impacted an entire nation. The Bible says of him in 2 Kings 23, Verse 25, listen to this. Neither before nor after Josiah 
was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. You got to seek the word. You got to study the word. You got to share the word. And you have to submit to the word of God because this is the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God. And if you'll prioritize his word, God, God will lead you. He wants to lead you. Why? Because God's not silent. And by the way, he's not hiding either. He wrote you a letter to reveal who he is. We don't read the Bible to get Bible knowledge. We read the Bible to know God. He wants to make his ways known to you. He wants to make his truth known to you. That's God's heart for you. We have to get wisdom. We have to dig it out. We have to submit ourselves to it. I want to pray for you today as we prepare to close this service. And I just want to ask a simple question, give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you're here today and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you're hearing this word. And I just want to, I want to challenge you to just take a step of faith. The most important step I think you could take is to just simply believe that this word is truth. That there is a truth. It's too, it's too easy to borrow the talking points from the critics. I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have borrowed the talking points from critics and said, oh, well, if the Bible's true, why did that happen? Or, well, I, I heard, you know, I heard the Bible says this over here and this over there. But they've never actually read it for themselves. Can I tell you what you're going to experience if you push all that aside and just take a step of faith and say, okay, God, I'll take you at your word. You're going to discover that not only is it accurate, but there's breath on the page. God's going to begin to read you. God's going to begin to speak to you through his word. So I'm going I'm to challenge you to push back. If you're in that place and maybe you've just been a skeptic of the word of God, just take one small step of faith today and say, okay, God, I'm going to take, take you at this book, this book that hundreds of thousands of people have died to preserve. You know, I read several stories this week in Fox's Book of the Martyrs. I don't recommend it for nightly reading. But I do think every Christian ought to read it. It's an archive of all the martyrs in church history. Men like William Tyndale, who was burned at the stake because he believed everybody ought to have a copy of the word of God in their own language. And yet we, we throw it in the back seat. We try to find it next Sunday on our way back in. And the God of heaven, has he, even, even, even in Josiah's day, they lost it. God never lost it. He knew right where it was. He knew right when it was going to be found again. God has preserved this word for you. I want to challenge you today to put your faith in it. Would you just bow your head with me and close your eyes? I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus as the Son of God and the way of salvation, the only way to life, that's what the Bible communicates. There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. 
but the name of Jesus. That's why we sang his name so many times this morning, because it's the only name that can save you. But if you want to put your faith in him today as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray a prayer for you. Right now, I want to ask you to take just a small step of faith right where you're seated, just between you and God and me. If that's you and you say, Pastor Aaron, I want to ask Jesus to save me. To be the Lord of my life. Would you just raise your hand right now just so I know who I'm praying for? Come on. Just say, I want, I want Jesus to save me. I need him to rescue me. I know I'm a sinner. Amen. Thank you. You can put your hand back down after you've raised it up. You say, you're just saying, I know I'm a sinner. I know that without Jesus, I, I, I can't make it. But I put my faith in him today. Well, if you just raised your hand, or maybe you know you should have, I want you to say this prayer out loud. The church is going to pray it with you. We're just going to pray a prayer of surrender together. Come on, say it after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe your word is true. It tells me that I'm a sinner. And the penalty for sin is death. But it also says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, your son. So I put my faith in Jesus to save me. Come into my heart, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live every day according to your word. Today, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can we all stand together and give God praise? Amen. Amen.